Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. What's up, 11 a.m.? How's everybody doing today? I hope you're doing great. I hope you're doing great. Well, welcome to week two of our message series called Game Plan, where we've been digging in a little bit to uh, what is God's will for our life. But uh, before we get going, I want to give a quick kind of welcome home to those of you that are here today for the first time. Just want to say welcome. Those of you that are returning guests or those that might be watching uh, from home or later in the week online, uh, just want to say welcome home today. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Ryan. I have the honor of serving here as lead pastor, and uh, we are so glad that you have joined us uh, today. I want to lead off with um, a question for you. I got it up here on uh, the screens. How many of you grew up hearing, God has a plan for your life? Anybody ever hear God has a plan for your life? It doesn't matter if um, you grew up in church all your life, Sunday school, like my wife, um, or you grew up not in church at all, like myself, and you're just glad you could make it into the building today and not be struck by lightning. Um, I think we've all, whether we've been churched or unchurched, we've all kind of heard this phrase before, God has a plan for your life. A lot of us in the room have probably told some people uh, through the years that God has a plan uh, for your life. Um, But does he? Does he really have a plan for your life. Is that really uh, true? And, and if it's true, here's, here's another question for you to consider. What happens along the way if God has a plan for your life when you make the wrong decision? Or what about when you misinterpret what God was saying and you go the wrong way? Or what about the seasons in your life that we've all had, the sinful seasons in our life where we didn't want a whole lot to do with God? If God has a plan for our life and all of us walk through some seasons and things like that, then it leads us to the next big question that you're going to see on the screens. Can I mess up God's plan? That if God has a plan for our life, then would it be true that when we make the wrong choices and go the wrong way, that we could mess up God's plan for my life? And if we mess it up, what do we do with the rest of our life? I mean, do we spend the rest of our life settling for like a second or third rate kind of life where we might have some good days along the way, but, but we're kind of haunted for the rest of our life with these kind of two ideas, what could have been and what should have been. What could have been and what should have been. I don't know about you, but that is a lot of pressure to have to live life with, to to have to make decisions in our life with. And um, I kind of imagine it like this. I don't know if you've ever seen this guy do, I don't even remember his name, but do the whole tightrope across the the Grand Canyon. But I think sometimes we live our life as if God's will is this tightrope, right? And on one side of the tightrope, it's anchored, and that's when we were born. And on the other side of God's will, the tightrope is when we die, (laughs) 
And we spend most of our life trying not to mess up God's plan for our life. And so we kind of we kind of go through life, and 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 uh, we're moving away from being born. We're moving into the later years of life, and and we're just trying to kind of make it on God's tightrope will of our life. And and then the winds start blowing, right? We experience some some kind of tricky seasons, and and we 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 do some stupid stuff, and our foot kind of slips off, and we're kind of dangling like this, and and we spend our whole life looking at God's will like a tightrope, hoping that we don't mess up so bad that we end up falling off and plummeting to God's will's death for our life or whatever we would call it. And oftentimes when we have that perception in our life, We tend to look at the consequences of our failures, the consequences of the wrong choices, the consequences of the seasons of sin in our life, and we almost look at them as if we're due those consequences. Like it's like God is in heaven looking down, and through the consequences of our mistakes, he's saying, I told you so. You know, when we live through life looking at God's plan like that, and we all make mistakes and we all slip up and we all do stupid stuff, and we began to think that we have messed up God's plan for our life, then what ends up happening is we end up settling in life. We go through our life and we kind of look at other people and, and you know, if they are people that we look up to and, 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 uh, and people that seem to have the right marriage or they have the right job or, or whatever, that we make this assumption that, well, obviously they got God's will in their life a lot righter <laughs> than I got in my life. And so I should just be kind of happy with the fact that that I can come in and I can sit in a church service. I should just be, be happy that, that I've got some good days and some good memories in my life. And, and today, I want, to, I want to address that question of can we mess up God's will for our life? And I want to help you see today that that that's not how God's will works. That that's certainly not what God's will says. And it's definitely not the character of God. And today, I want to prove that to you in Scripture. Hey, we are in uh, this series called Game Plan. And we've been, um, we've been really um, framing this series around three really important questions that all of us kind of ask from time to time in our life. The first question, big question, is what is God's will for my life? I don't know about you, but it always feels like it's like it's like way out there and I can never really grab it, right? What is God's will for my life? And then the second big question is why, if he has a will for my life, then why does it matter? 
Why does it matter that I pursue that will or why does it matter if I miss it or don't miss it? And then the third question is, how can I live it out in my life? And uh, so in this series, the first two weeks have been um, all about really laying the foundation, helping us really take our eyes off of the idea of just kind of God's will being associated with whether we move to this state or take this job or marry this person, to kind of take our eyes off of that and to focus on what are some of the the real basic principles of God's will that if I don't understand, the rest of it's not going to make sense. And so last week we spent um, a little bit of time, um, I shared two um, two basics principles of God's will. If you weren't here last week, you can get that online. Uh, this week, I want to I share two more principles. And then starting next week for the following four weeks, um, it's going to get really practical and we're going to really talk about what it looks like for us to be able to live out God's will for our life. And so uh, today I want to kind of finish up that foundational uh, segment by um, by talking about one of um, the most famous and most quoted verses in the Bible related to God's plan for uh, our life. And um, my guess is, is that some of you might even know where I'm going with this verse because it's so famous. It's on t-shirts, it's on coffee mugs. It might even be on a refrigerator. Some of you might even have, uh, have it tattooed on your body somewhere today. But it is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Jeremiah 29, 11. How many of you knew? How many? Yeah, I led you in there good. Jeremiah 29, 11, which says, if you're not familiar, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And so today what I want to do is I want to help you see this verse from a fresh perspective, because I believe with the right interpretation of 2911, that this verse can free you and me from the pressure and the guilt that's associated with that big question, can I mess up? God's will for my life. If you're taking notes today, I've entitled today's message, the yellow flag, the yellow flag, going with the whole football theme because I am throwing a yellow flag penalty on our understanding and interpretation of Jeremiah 29, 11 today. Uh, so make your way there if you got your Bible or your smartphones, we'll get there in just a second. Um, how many of you guys have, um, have ever posted something on social media and, uh, and then you had somebody just kind of hijack your post with some comments and you kind of question, like, did they even read what I said, right? Like, like totally just hijack it. Like what they're saying and accusing me of like has nothing to do with what I just said. I don't know if you know this, but there is a actual term for that kind of behavior, a psychological term by that matter. And it's, it's these, these, um, this abbreviation, J-T-C, J-T-C. Here's what it means. Jumping to conclusion bias. 
jumping to conclusion bias. I didn't make that up. That is a real psychological term. And here's what it does. It describes a person who jumps to a conclusion without all the facts. Sound any, any bit familiar with kind of our world today? But not only do they make judgments and jump to conclusions without all the facts, but oftentimes they do it and they spin it to their own preferred conclusion. Now, most of us can't stand it when people do that on social media or news or with our conversations. But I don't know if you realize this, but we oftentimes do that with the Bible. That we oftentimes look at scripture and we make judgments on what we read, not knowing all the facts. And then we form our own opinions of the verse based off of our personal preference. Now, um, I love the Bible app and the verse for the day. Great tool, great, great um, asset if you don't have that. But here's, the, here's what happens with the verse of the day that can come back and bite us a little bit, is that the verse of the day gives us one scripture without the supporting context that's around it. And so right now we live in a day and age where it's kind of like all about the self-gratification gospel. Like, like I wanna take the Bible and I want to interpret it based upon how it benefits me in my own life. And, and so what happens is, is we, we see a verse in the verse of the day, or we, we I don't know if you ever did this, I, I, I've done this many times, where I'm like, God, I just need you to speak to me. And so I thumb through and I stop and I put my finger down, right? And I'm like, what are you saying? And um, it's awful when it says something you don't want it to, you don't want to hear. And then you're like, oh, that's not God. I'm, I'm going to try it again. Um, but we have a tendency to, um, to do that kind of thing in our life. And what makes that dangerous is that we, we end up missing the big idea or the point that God is trying to communicate to us through the scripture because we don't understand the context around it. Let me, let me, let me illustrate why context is important. Um, I'm going to read this with you. Um, tell me if you can kind of if it makes sense to you. A seashore is a better place than the street because you need lots of room. At first, it is better to run than to walk. You may have to try several times. It takes some skill, but it is easy to learn. Even young children can enjoy it. Birds seldom get too close. If there are no snags, it can be very peaceful. But if it breaks loose, you won't get another chance. How many of you are totally confused about what that means. Now, now, I want us to look at it again, but I want to give you the context of what it's about. It's about a kite. It's about flying a kite. And so with that context, we read, a seashore is a better place than the street because you need lots of room. At first, it is better to run than to walk that you may have to try several times, that it takes some skill to fly a kite, but it can e be easy to learn. Even young children can enjoy it. Birds seldom get too close, that if there are no snags, it can be very peaceful. But if it breaks loose, you won't get another chance. 
You see, context matters. And what often happens with uh, our involvement with scripture is that we don't understand the context. And so it's almost like we're pulling a scripture like the first paragraph and not really understanding what it's about. And so as we look into Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, if we're going to understand the answer to can I mess up God's will for my life, then we have to not look at Jeremiah 29, 11 as I'm going to extract one verse and put it on my refrigerator, not that that's bad, but to understand the context that is around it. And so I want to share some context with Jeremiah 29, and then I want to give you uh, a couple principles today about God's will for us to build on. So Jeremiah 29, chapter 29, is about the Israelites, and they, have, they are slaves in enemy territory, which is Babylon. Now, as we talk about this passage of Scripture, and we're going to read a couple Scriptures here in a moment, I want you to, to picture that this is a foreshadowing of the days that we live in now. You see, Babylon, if you look in Revelation, Babylon is referred to, it's a symbol for the the evil and the secular culture of the end times. And so what you're going to see in this passage of Scripture is you're going to see a parallel between what they're walking through, right? They're, They're in slavery to Babylon. We are in slavery to sin, right? And you're going to see this parallel between what God is saying to them, and what God is saying to us. And so what ends up happening in Jeremiah 29 is the Israelites are, are, are in slavery to Babylon, which is a super evil, wicked um, society. Like, I'm not even going to share what they do to people in slavery and, and prisoners and all that kind of stuff because it's just not even appropriate on a Sunday morning. And so what happens is, is these false prophets... Um, that are, are presenting themselves being from God are coming to the Israelites and telling them, hey, listen, I know it's bad. I know slavery. Hey, we don't, we don't like that. Um, I know that you're looking forward to um, the promise uh, of God to return back to Judah. Um, here's what you need to know. It's, it's going to happen in a couple years. So don't worry, in a couple years, it's going to happen. And it's kind of like the, the similarities when you look at Scripture in, um, in Peter. Peter talks about, like in the, in the end times, how people are not going to, um, the way the New King James Version puts it is, they're not going to endure sound doctrine. The idea of like enduring, like it's not what they want to hear, so, so they're, but they're going to lean into it. And, and the Bible says in the end times that, that people are not going to endure that. They're not going to want sound teaching. They're not going to want to hear what the actual word is saying because they don't want to have to realign their lives, right? And so it, what it says in that scripture in Peter is that instead they're going to surround themselves with teachers that are teaching the kind of things that they want to hear. And we see that kind of same thing happening here in Jeremiah chapter 29 with these false prophets. And so God's like, okay, I'm not gonna have any part of that. And so God steps in and he speaks through the prophet Jeremiah and he rejects what these false um, teachers are saying. And he says, no, it's not gonna be two years, 
it's gonna be 70 years. For 70 years, you're gonna have to be in slavery in Babylon with the purpose, the promise in your heart. You can feel it, but you can't see it. And here's what God says to them, and we're gonna read it in just a second. He gives them this kind of big idea that while you're waiting, like while you're in this state of slavery with a promise in your heart, but not in your eyes, that while you are there, God says this, I want you to make the best of what you have by making a difference where you are. That I want you to make the best of what you have in the midst of the, 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 the culture, the atmosphere, and the living conditions that you don't like. I want you to make the best of that by making a difference where you're at. And God tells them, I want you to build houses. I want you to get married. I want you to have kids. He even says, I want you to plant gardens, right? And, and so we see this in Jeremiah chapter 29, and I want, you, I want to read it, and then we'll jump into our points. Verse 10 says, this is what the Lord says, that you will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things that I have promised, and I will bring you home again. What's the similarity with us? Home is not what we've kind of built as like our dream for our life. Home for us is heaven. Like we are, we are slave to sin here on earth, but he's being, I'm gonna bring you home, speaking of, of heaven as it applies to us. Verse 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, that they are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. He says, in those days, speaking of captivity, when you pray, I will listen, that if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me, that I will be found by you, says the Lord, that I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes, that I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home again to your own land. And so this morning, Understanding the context of Jeremiah 29, verse 11, I want us to see how that kind of affects the meaning and what God might be trying uh, to tell us through it today. Um, the first principle that I want to give you today, and we're only doing two, is this. Happiness and success don't indicate that you're in God's will. <laughs> They don't indicate happiness, easy life. They don't indicate that you are in God's will. You see, when we extract verse 11, we look at he gives us plans for good and not for disaster. And so we began to form this conclusion out of that, that, okay, well, then that means that if my life is going well, if I'm blessed financially, if my career is, is blossoming, my relationships are good, I don't have a whole lot of disruption in my life, then obviously I must be in God's will for my life. And then on the flip side, we think, okay, if I'm experiencing tragedy or disappointment, I got a lot of things that are happening to me that are not good, then I'm out of God's will for my life. And what have I done to mess up the good that God has for me in my life, and we began to develop this, 
this real dangerous conclusion. And this causes us to view God's will for our life through the lens of how good or bad our life is going right now. And friend, I'm gonna tell you, that is not what God is saying in this verse. And that's why Jesus said this in John 16, 33. He said, here on earth, you're gonna have many trials and sorrows. Like he's like, as you're living your life, like even if you're in my perfect will for your life, you're still gonna have many trials and many sorrows. He says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And I love the first part that I've told you. I've told you all of this so that you may have peace, not peace in the absence of difficulty, not peace in the absence of pain or regret, but peace in the midst of the trials and sorrows because you're finding your peace in Christ Jesus. You see, Jeremiah 29, 11 isn't a guarantee that, that if we remain in God's will, that life is gonna be easy, we're gonna be happy, that we're gonna be successful. It's actually a reminder a reminder to you and me that we can find purpose in our pain if we will focus on his promise rather than our problems. That we can find purpose in the midst of the pain and the tragedy that we're fi- uh, facing in our life if we will shift our focus from focusing on all the hurtful stuff and, and all the, like, the bills not coming through and the relationships that are fractured, if we will take our focus off of that stuff and put our focus on his promise for our life is what he's saying there. And then the second thing that I think is important for us to understand about God's will, and this is a huge one, is that God has one purpose, but many plans. That he has one purpose, but many plans. I noticed something in this verse this week that in following the Lord for like 25 years or so that I've never seen as many times as I've read this verse. And I wanna see if you, can, if you can catch it in the verse. So it says here, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. What do you notice about that word Plans. Is there anything about that word that just kind of like, kind of jumps out at you? It's plural. It's not singular. It's plural. That what it's saying here in this verse answers the question that you and I have kind of framed this whole conversation from, can we mess up God's will for our life. You see, if God only had a plan for our life, then we could. But verse 11 shows us that he doesn't have a singular plan, that he has plural plans. In other words, when we're walking the tightrope of life, 
If God had a singular plan for our life, then when we made a mistake and fell off of the rope of God's plan, there would never be an opportunity to get back to his will. And as a result, what happens in our life is we what? We settle and we, and we walk around the rest of our life with shame and regret from the could have beens and the should have beens. But what we see here in verse 11, and see, when we do that, what happens? God's will for our life, it falls apart, right? If, if we can mess up God's will and he only has one plan for our life, then when we fall, we can totally mess up God's plan and will for our life. Think about it like this, and our worship team is gonna, is gonna come up. Think about it like this. How many of you were, um, how many of you ever grew up and heard this kind of idea of um, marrying the one? Like there's, there's the one um, that you've got, got to marry. And, uh, and maybe you felt, maybe along the way in life, you kind of felt the pressure of the one. Like, like I, I remember when, um, I remember when uh, I was um, getting ready to ask Andrea out, and kind of funny story is I, I was talking to a girl named Andrea, and uh, she pronounces her name Andrea, and so and she knew who Andrea was, and so when I was sitting in my little re- recliner uh, rehearsing, I don't know if any of you guys did this, but I was trying to rehearse what I was going to say when I called her. And uh, I had to rehearse the way that I pronounced her name because I did not want to pronounce it the wrong way. But, um, but there was this, this pressure in that season of my life of getting it right. Like making sure that I found the one. Now, let's get, let's step outside of biblical. Let's get a little logical here for a second. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. Like, what happens if you marry the wrong one? All right, if you marry the wrong one, then that means that the person that they were supposed to marry would marry the wrong one which means the person that they were supposed to marry, the person that was supposed to marry them would marry the wrong one. And, if, and then the person that you were supposed to marry, they would marry the wrong one. Oh my gosh, like that is pressure. Like in one wrong decision of missing the one, you would throw the entire planet's romantic relationships off of balance. <laughs> I mean, that is a lot of pressure. You see, when it comes to God's will and his plans for our life, if he had just a singular plan for our life, then one mistake one mistake could cause everything to fall apart. And friend, I'm gonna tell you this morning, that is not the redemptive story of the Bible. It is not the redemptive story. You see, a more accurate interpretation of this verse would be this, 
that God has a singular purpose for our life. He's got one purpose. Now, most of us would knee-jerk respond to that purpose and say, it's heaven. It's spending all of eternity with God. And that would be a great answer, but it would be a wrong one. You see, heaven is a result of God's purpose in our life. Because God's actual purpose for our life, the outcome that he desires is that we glorify him. The way that we live our life, the way that we shine bright the Jesus in us so that other people can see that that is God's purpose for our life. But what we see in Jeremiah 29, 11 in context is that he has one purpose, but he has many plans. He has many plans. And those many plans are a result of his grace and his mercy in our life because God knows that you and I are gonna miss it. God knows that you and I are gonna make mistakes. God knows that we're gonna take the wrong path in our life. And the reason why this is such an important distinction is because Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21, it says you can make many plans. And friend, I don't know about you, but I've made a lot of plans in my life. I've made a lot of decisions in my life that I thought was the right decision that I got to the other end of the road and it was a dead end. It was a dead end for my purpose. It was a dead end for my passions in life. It was a dead end emotionally. We all make a lot of plans in life. Some of you may be here today and you made some plans about who you were gonna marry. And now you're walking through a season of loneliness and isolation because the plan that you made didn't turn out to be the right plan. For some of you today, maybe you made some really poor choices in your life and you wound up spending time in prison because of the plans that you made. Maybe for some of you today, you chose career over your kids and now you sit here and your kids don't want anything to do with you and your relationship with your spouse is on the rocks because you made your plans. Maybe there's a mom here today and you made some plans early in life and you ended up aborting a, a baby. That's something that's close to my heart because my mom, I should have an older brother. 
But when she was 17 years old, she made a decision that she wasn't ready to parent. We all make choices. We all make plans. What I love about God is that he gives us this promise at the end of that verse. He says, but the Lord's purpose will, what does he say? Prevail. We can make a lot of plans. And thank God he has a lot of plans to get us back to his purpose for our life. That embodies the verse, Romans 8, 28, that he's gonna, for those that love the Lord and will walk with him, that he's gonna use all the good. He's gonna use all of your plans and all of his plans to get you back on his purpose for your life. Friend, he can redeem our plans and provide a new plan back to his purpose. So no matter what decisions you made, what plans you've made in your life, friend, I want you to know this. Don't think that one mistake can prevent God from fulfilling his purpose in your life. The Lord would say to you today to shake it off. Shake off the guilt. Shake off the regret. Shake off the discouragement and receive God's grace for another chance. Because friend, as long as you have breath in your lungs, you are never out of the fight with God. That he always has another way another plan to get you back to his purpose for your life. Amen. Are you thankful for God's word today? Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening. And we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.